morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is John. It's great to have you here. Really good to see how you've been enjoying this sunny weekend. Now, I'll ask you a question. What is your favorite film? What's your favorite film? And why do you like it? What is it about that film that makes you think, just, I love this film. This is an excellent film. So for me, my favorite type of films are films with plot twists. I love a good plot twist. You know what I mean? Like where you kind of, that thing happens at the end and then the film finishes and then you and your friends kind of spend the next half an hour like, wait, so if that, no, 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 but if that, wait, so if he's a ghost, then what happened in, in no, so I love those bits where you're just trying to dissect the whole film after and just work out what happened. Can you relate to that? You know, that kind of feeling. Up? And then you're like, wait, there's a bit of a plot to it. If you went back into anyway, like, I love those sorts of films. Those are my favorite type of film, one with a good plot twist. And this morning, we're going to be looking at some stories, three different stories that contain plot twists. And each of these stories will challenge you to think differently about your own story, to look at your own life story in a different sort of way. And we're going to be continuing in our Philippians series, looking at uh, Paul, the author of Philippians, right into a church there in Philippi. And if you're taking notes, which is always uh, a helpful practice, you could call this talk a tale of three gels. So our first gel that we're going to be looking at is that of the author of Philippians, the Apostle Paul. So Paul is being held in a Roman prison, and he's there for sharing the message of Jesus, and he's awaiting his faith. And he's aware that at any moment, he could lose his life and be executed. Now, in this story, what would you expect to happen? What would you expect to happen to Paul? How would you feel if you were in Paul's situation? If you knew that at any moment, you could be executed. You probably expect Paul to feel pretty devastated, right? He's probably thinking, you know, if I don't get out, I'm never going to see my family again. I'm never going to get to do that thing that I've always dreamt of doing. I'll never fulfill that dream, that vision I had. You know, to live this long and fruitful life and visit all these places and do all these things. And what would you expect to, um, what would you expect his, his prayers to look like in that situation? Maybe be down on his knees with his chains around his hand saying, why God? Remember, remember that time you got prison out, uh, Peter out of prison with a couple of angels? You remember that one, God? I'm kind of ready for that thing now if you want to kind of bring it forward because I've been waiting a while. And how do you think the other Christians in the area would feel knowing that Paul, their leader, had been arrested and thrown in prison and maybe executed for it? How do you think they'd feel? Probably in absolute terror, thinking, if that's what happened to Paul, then I'm going to shut up. It's time to stop spreading the message. Let's go underground until this storm kind of rides out a little bit, and then we'll take stock and see if maybe in the future there's an opportunity for us to share our faith eventually. They'd be terrified. So what actually happens? Well, we read in Philippians 1 from verse 12 what happened in Philippi. Or in the, to the Christians surrounding Paul's prison. We read in verse 12, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the, all the rest that my imprisonment 
is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So that's slightly different than what we'd expect. That's not exactly what we would have expected. There's a massive plot twist there. The script is flipped, and rather than Paul sat in prison licking his wounds, he's absolutely buzzing. He said, being thrown in prison has led to some amazing things. Firstly, he's saying that me being in prison has meant that I've been able to share the gospel, been able to share the message of Jesus with people that I otherwise wouldn't have had access to. Secondly, he's saying, not only that, but all the other Christians in the area having heard about what happened to me and now sharing the message of Jesus with way more confidence. So it's a pretty upside-down understanding of how we might view being thrown in prison. And what can we actually learn from this? What's the application for our lives today? Well, first of all, what we learn is that what looks like a dead end may be an open door. What looks like defeat can be used for victory by God. I mean, what would you be praying in that situation? We kind of were thinking about this earlier, but maybe you'd be saying, you know, set me free, Lord. Protect me from the evil schemes of the enemy. But what if you're precisely in the place that God wants you to be? And maybe it's not a physical prison, but another circumstance in your life. And you're saying, God, when are you going to take this away? And God's saying, I put you there for a reason. And actually what you're seeing as a burden in your life is actually a blessing. So how on earth is Paul being in prison a blessing? How is that a blessing? Well, it only makes sense if you get this. Paul has learned the secret that life is not about him. That life is about Jesus. He goes on to say, to live is Christ. For Paul, the purpose of life is all about sharing Jesus. That's why he's living. Paul isn't focused on getting out. He's focused on people getting saved. He isn't interested in his freedom, but theirs. It's amazing. It's a completely opposite, upside-down understanding of, of what life should look like, of what freedom looks like. How do you view the difficult circumstances in your life? Do you have that same response, that same understanding that Paul does? But because for Paul, he's not fixated on the hardship of his circumstances or the bondage of his chains. His mind is focused on what message that they can bring. So for Paul, he realizes that his chains are a powerful message, first of all, to his captors. To his captors. The soldiers and officials surrounding Paul can see before them a man who's found something so valuable that he's willing to give up everything for it. And when people see that, when people see someone who's found something like that, it asks a really provoking and challenging question. 
When you see someone who's willing to give up everything for something, it makes you ask yourself, have I found something that valuable? Have I I found something that valuable that I'll give everything for it? And it's a question that people will ask, not just in Paul's day, but in ours. And it's good to be, it's important to be aware of the spirit of the age of how people will respond in 2018 Sidcup. Because in 2018 Sidcup, people are searching for truth. People are searching for something valuable, something solid that they can cling on to. And you don't need me to tell you that it is unsettling times in the UK. And in the world, quite frankly, just turn on the news for a few minutes and you'll be convinced if you're not already. But while that can be hard, what an opportunity we have. What an amazing opportunity we have. Our opportunity to share our faith is not getting harder, it's getting easier. Why? Because we have an opportunity more than we have in decades to present an unchanging, solid truth to a nation who is building its beliefs and hope on foundations that are constantly shifting and shaking and inconsistent. And we have a message that doesn't change from yesterday, today and forever. That's the message that you have to share with 2018 Sidcup and Welling and Elton and your workplace and your family crying out for truth. What an opportunity. And the truth, hey, let's be up front. Many people will reject the message of Jesus. But many will come to him. Our job is just to preach the message. Now notice in the passage how Paul doesn't say that all the guards were saved. Do you notice that? He didn't say revival broke out in the prison, all the imperial guarding officials were wondrously saved through my ministry, praise God, hallelujah. Now what does he say? I was able to preach the message to all of them. Our job is to preach the message. The rest is between them and God. That's how we judge our success. Not by if, you know, everyone in our workplace is saved, but our success, our joy, our delight comes in. I had a chance to share my faith. That's what we're aiming for. Paul's chains are a powerful message to his captors and a powerful message to his friends. Now, the Philippians were just like us. They weren't bold by default. Now, if I had to take a survey in the room, I'm pretty sure if I said, who here just loves the thought of going up to people and just preaching the message of God, of Jesus, and you never feel nervous, you never feel a little bit embarrassed, you always know the words to say. If I did a survey, I'd probably say most of the people in the room wouldn't kind of feel that way. For most of us, we're like the Philippians. We're not bold by default. But what happened in the situation of the the church surrounding Paul, is that they saw a man who is willing to give everything for something, and they said, wow, if he can do that, if he's found something so valuable, and that's what I have, then I want to live the same. Paul was so focused on eternity that he didn't care what people thought. And when you see someone like that, it completely changes you. It says in those verses, it filled them with courage and they began to preach without fear. 
when their leader was thrown in prison. And one man with that attitude inspired countless others. And you know what? That could be you too. And you might say, okay, yeah, cool, cool, yeah, but you don't know me and my insecurities and like I'm not great at speaking. You should have seen that last time I tried it and how badly that flopped. And yeah, that's cool for Paul and some of the leaders, maybe like Helen and, you know, the community leaders who do all that leadershipy stuff. But that's not really for me. Like that's cool for them, but yeah, God bless them. But God is saying he wants to use you. You don't need to have all these clever words or a PhD in theology or some slick communication skills. What it takes is a boldness that comes from knowing God and that you're not living for your reputation or your popularity, but something much higher and much greater and that you have a God who is with you, who will never leave you and never forsake you. That's the message of Paul's prison. And the second prison that this reminds us of is the prison of Joseph. Now, Paul, a scholar of the Old Testament, would have clearly seen the links between his situation and his circumstances and of Joseph. Now, some of us might have seen the story of Joseph portrayed in various stage productions or films or anything like that. But for those who aren't aware of of what happened, this is Joseph's story that happened a few hundred years before. And at this point of his story, he is in prison because he refused to sleep with the wife of his master, despite her relentless advances on him, and then she accuses him of rape, and he's thrown in prison. So he sat in an Egyptian prison with no prospect for release and no potential hope of of any openings to get out. Now again, what would we expect to happen in this situation? For Joseph to rot in prison... His life to end in jail, end of story. But what actually happens? Well, at first, it's nothing really spectacular. It says that he just got on with life. And if you want to read this story, it's in the book of Genesis. He gets on with life. He serves faithfully in the prison. And then he's given favor from God and becomes a leader in prison. Okay, so a cool little step. And then he continues to serve. And he serves one of his inmates who's in there with him, one of the fellow prisoners, He says, I've had this dream, can you interpret it for me? And Joseph interprets it. And he's actually a senior person in the uh, kind of Egyptian leadership who's been uh, thrown in prison, fallen out of favor with Pharaoh. He interprets this dream. Eventually, this guy's released, but he forgets all about Joseph. So Joseph has to keep on just serving in prison with no real hope of release. But then two years later, a call comes from the palace saying that the Pharaoh's had a dream that no one can interpret. And so Joseph gets called up, goes to the palace, he interprets the dream, he gains the trust and respect of the Pharaoh, and then he's appointed to be prime minister of the most powerful nation on all the planet. He goes from prison to prime minister, and once again, God has a massive plot twist. So what do we learn from this? Well, first of all, we learn that while people will reject you, God never will. Joseph, I think this is really important for us to to really notice here. Joseph is trying to work hard and honor his master and live with integrity by not giving to sexual advances of his master's wife. And still, he ends up in jail. And I think we can have this sort of 
theology or understanding or belief that if I just, you know, if I, I live with real integrity, if I, if I really honour God with all my actions, then nothing will go wrong. But what we see here is, actually sometimes it's precisely because you won't do what's wrong that things can end up badly. You may lose your job or your reputation, or even your friends. Integrity doesn't guarantee you success or an easy ride. It can be the opposite. It's hard to hear, but we need to hear it. So what does that look like in your world? Perhaps the times when your boss tells you to exaggerate the numbers, or to get things paid in cash, or how the only way to fit in with that particular group is if you join in with the rude jokes or the gossip. The reality is that choosing integrity over human approval may lead you to lose popularity, jobs, friends. But God honors that integrity. And here's the bottom line. You're not living for people, but for God. And while others may leave you, the promise of God, as we've just heard, is that he will never leave you and never forsake you. And so it's always the right thing to put him first, above others, even if it means you lose all in following him. Secondly, we see from Joseph that God can use all things for good. And just like with Joseph in the story of Paul as well, what looks like a dead end could be the start of something far greater. Joseph later reflects on his life and in Genesis 50, 20, I love this verse, it's been one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says, what was intended for evil, God meant for good. Man tried, the devil tried, but God turned defeat into victory. God is the one who makes the devil's plans backfire. He's the one who does the plot twist, the one who rewrites the script. What could that look like in your life? If you're single, the script says that you should feel lonely and unfulfilled. But instead, God says that you have a unique purpose, unique opportunities, a great opportunity to build community around you, and an opportunity to know a fulfillment and satisfaction that the world says is only possible if you're a romantic and sexual relationship. If you're in poor health, the script says that you should feel overwhelmed. But God says you can know a peace that passes understanding. You can show others a joy that they can't comprehend. You can show that your hope is based on not what the doctors say, but about what Jesus says about you. If you have a rubbish job, the script says you should moan. You should say this is absolutely pointless and purposeless. But God says, I can use you to reach your colleagues like I use Paul and Joseph in their difficult situation. I can give you a meaning and a purpose in that difficult job. If you're persecuted, the script says that you should feel fear and be quiet. But God says he will give you courage. 
he will give you confidence. And Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. You can know joy in your life when everything else around you is saying you should know despair and fear. God is the God of the plot twist, the one who rewrites the script and makes the devil's plans backfire. But let's pause for a second because there's an important question we should ask. Does that mean that we shouldn't change or seek to change or pray against difficulties in our lives? Does it mean that? Of course not. God loves to heal and restore. We heard about it in our worship. He's the one who loves to change, change circumstances to bring restoration and healing. He specializes in it. But when your eyes are opened to what Paul and Joseph have seen, you have a complete change of perspective about your circumstances. Your attention is no longer primarily focused on how can I get out of this, but how can God use me through it? For Joseph, he got let out. Great. Answer to prayer, right? Amazing. I mean, we'd be having celebration parties and we'd be thanking God and saying, wow, isn't God good? And rightly so. But what if Joseph had never been released from prison? And what if he just ended up evangelizing the whole prison, stayed there his whole life? Would that be a failure? If he never got out? Would God have failed? Because what happened to Paul? Was Paul released? Nope. In fact, he was executed. Was that a failure? Did God fail? Would that be a failure if that happened in your life or in the person you're praying for? It's an important question. It's an uncomfortable one, to be honest, because it asks this question, what if you're never healed? What if you never get married? What if you don't get that job? Or that visa? What if you continue to be persecuted? Is that failure? Does that mean that God couldn't use it for good? No. Because as Paul said, to live is Christ. It's all about him. The priorities are shifted. It's now no longer about how can I have the most comfortable and easy life. It's about how can I walk with Jesus? If living is Christ, and as Paul then says, to die is gain, then nothing can touch you. What can take your freedom? What can take your hope? Can illness take it? Can job loss take it? Can rejection take it? Can hunger take it? Can imprisonment, can death take it? Paul writes this in Romans. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Nothing will be able to separate us. Nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's prison and Joseph's prison 
show the power of God and his ability to use all things for good. Whether it results in things getting easier for you or harder for you, or whether you see the fruit or not. Because sometimes, from your perseverance, you finally see the fruit of what you were able to work for. And sometimes you won't in this lifetime. But whether you see it or not, whether you understand it or not, we know that God works all things for the good of those who love him. So the first prison, Paul's prison. Second prison, Joseph's prison. The third prison. The third prison is your prison. And you say, what prison is that? The prison of death. A a prison that no matter how rich you are, or how healthy you are, or how successful in life you are, you cannot escape. And we try, oh, we do try to escape it. With Botox and anti-aging creams and uh, yoga and special diets and just straight up living in denial. Some people even pay millions to be cryogenically frozen just on the off chance that will help them escape death. But no matter what you do, however much you spend, however much you exercise, you can't escape that prison. We can numb to it, and we can try to ignore it, but death awaits us all. And it isn't the end. A day will come when we will meet our maker and face the consequences of our actions. Now, when we're honest, we all know that we've done wrong. We all know that. Now, we, we can trick ourselves into thinking that we're a good person. We can trick ourselves into thinking that. But let's be real. If every thought that you'd had, let's just say from the past year, let's not say whole life, every thought you had from the past year was projected up onto that screen this morning, it would dispel any myth that we're a good person, right? We're guilty. We've all sinned. We're guilty of the sin of commission, things that we've done that we know were wrong. And the sins of omission, when we didn't do the things that we knew were right. We've all sinned. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Which means we're all on death row awaiting our fate. And the fair outcome, the right thing to take place, is justice. We know that. Justice is the right thing. Us paying the price for what we have done. But God had other plans. He had another plot twist in mind. And the story could be explained a little bit like this. You're sat languishing in your cell on death row, knowing that there's no hope of getting out, just waiting for that day to come. And all of a sudden, the door of the cell flings open and stood there is the judge of your case. You think this is the moment. This is where I'm sent to the gallows. And instead the judge says, I've got some news for you. You've been completely cleared of any charges. You've been released and you're free to go. Your record is wiped clean. And you're just completely confused because you know you're guilty as charged. And he says, not only that, but 
as well as releasing you, we've sorted out that you have a home, you have a job, we want to make sure you have a purpose, all the support and community that you need will be provided for you. And you can't believe it. I mean, you're loving it. You can't believe it. But great, you, you rush out of that prison door and you rush down the, the corridors and rush out the prison gates, putting on your, your clothes again and, and, and you go outside and take that first breath, first breath of freedom. And you turn around and look back at the prison that should have been your home, that should have been your end. But as you do, you notice through the, the barbed wire fence, you kind of notice in the, in the prison yard that there's someone being escorted by some of the prison officers. And, and you see that they're being taken on the path towards the gallows. And you think, I wonder if that's one of my mates. I wonder if that's one of the guys I've spent the last few years with. And you, you kind of go up to the fence and you, you peer in. And you look a bit closer and it, you're a bit confused because you see the, the person is wearing your prison clothes. Why have they got my, my prison clothes on? And you look closer and you see that the person wearing them is the judge. And he's being marched towards the hangman's noose. And he's not fighting, he's not resisting them, he's just walking silently towards the gallows. And he's taken up onto the platform, the rope's put around his neck, He's hoisted up, and you just see the, the breath and the life disappear from him. And there hangs the man who took the punishment that you deserved. That's your story. That's an illustration of exactly what's happened for you. Jesus saw you in your bondage, in your sin, and he left the freedom of heaven and came to earth. He lived the perfect life. And then he allowed his enemies to arrest him and whip him and beat him, put a crown of thorns on his head. And he went to that cross never pleaded his case. He never fought back, never used his strength, which, which would have easily got him free. He went to the, the cross that was reserved for you. He bled and died. Jesus entered the prison of death for you. And that would be amazing enough. But the story doesn't end there. There is one final plot twist. The Romans thought that they'd killed him. The Pharisees thought that they silenced him. The devil thought that he had won. But three days later, their plan was shattered. Jesus rewrote the script. No nails, no spear, no grave, no power of hell, nor scheme of man could hold him down. Jesus broke open the grave. He broke free from death and conquered death and sin and shame for you once and for all. Jesus is alive and he's ascended into heaven where he's preparing a place for you. It's why we're hopeful in all circumstances. It's why we can say the best is yet to come. Not because we're confident and certain that our circumstances are going to get easy. 
because they may and they may not. But our hope isn't in that. Our hope is in something far higher, far greater, the things of heaven, the things of eternity, something that can't be shaken and can't be taken away from you. Just as Paul says, to live is Christ. Life is all about Jesus. Life is all about telling others about him. To live is Christ, and then Paul says what? To die is gain. Which means you have a reason to live, and you have a hope beyond death. Because the day will come where you'll breathe your last in this life. And then you'll breathe your first breath in the next. And in that moment, you will see Jesus face to face. The one who formed you. The one who fought for you. The one who freed you by giving everything for you. And what a day it will be. Can we pray? Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, as we see that picture of you hung on the cross, that cross reserved for us, we, it's hard to know how to respond, to be honest, but we just want to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you bore our sin and shame on you. Thank you that you took away the punishment that we deserved. Thank you that we can now know freedom from shame. We don't have to walk in embarrassment. We don't have to be defined by the mistakes that we make. We don't have to be defined by our childhood. We don't have to be defined by our finances or relationship status. We're defined by the truth that we are saved and redeemed and perfect in the sight of God. Children of God, thank you, Lord. That's such a scandal. We don't deserve it at all, but you gave it as a free gift, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we we thank you that you didn't just die, but you rose again. We know that we have a hope beyond the grave. We don't know what this life will look like, but what we do know is that one day we will be with you for eternity with no more shame, no more sin, no more tears, no more confusion, no more disappointment, no more rejection, no more heartbreak, no more tantrums, no more sour feelings. Lord, we'll just know peace and joy and love and we'll be with you forever. What an honor, what a privilege, what a gift, Jesus. Our Lord, do we live like that was true? Where do we live with that eternal perspective? Lord, I pray that this week as we go into our offices and meet up with cousins and see friends and whatever it is, Lord, would we be so aware of that eternal perspective? More interested in their eternity than our popularity. More hungry to see our workplace changed and people coming to know you than me being liked or getting a promotion. Lord, would we be people who who put you first in everything because you're so worthy. We love you, Lord. We're so thankful. Amen. Amen. Now, as you all know, at the beginning of the year, we started our Move series. 
And the great thing about the Move series was every week we were challenged to ask the question of what's our next step? How are we going to move with Jesus, move towards him? And so today I want to ask you, what is your next step? For some, it will be a first step, a first step towards Jesus. We've been talking about all these amazing blessings and benefits of knowing Jesus. And that's possible when you believe in him and receive that free gift of salvation. The Bible explains this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you want these things we've been talking about this morning, you can receive it today. You don't have to do a, a, a degree or prove that you're good enough or sort out that mess before you can come to Jesus. He says, if you believe in me, confess that I'm a sinner who needs salvation and receive the grace of God, you can know eternal life. That's the promise for you today. If you'd like to do that, why not chat to someone you know here? If you don't know anyone, chat to someone on the host team with the blue t-shirts. They would love to pray with you, explain what it means to follow Jesus. And today could genuinely be the most significant day of your life. For some, it's a a next step. Asking God to shift your perspective on your circumstances. And I think it's a time for us to be a little bit honest and self-reflective and say, and I I say this with all uh, delicacy, knowing that for some of us, we're going through some very, very difficult things. And so my, my question to you would be, How are you viewing those circumstances? On the one hand, yes, let's ask God to bring healing and bring change. But let our primary focus be, God, how can you use me through this situation? For me, for example, in the last few years, I've I've learned a lot about grief in mourning. It's been difficult. But through it, I've helped more people who are grieving in mourning than I ever could have done before. And if your your mind is just so focused on you getting free, you may miss out on the powerful thing that God wants to do through you to the people around you. First question, what does he want to do with your perspective? And secondly, what could that look like for you in sharing your faith? Maybe it's this week, just taking that step of boldness and saying, I know it may not always go well, but what if? What if when I shared my faith with that person this week, they actually responded to Jesus. What if we had a few-minute conversation and that led to another one next week and the week after? What if? I'd encourage everyone this week, if you're a follower of Jesus, be looking this week, who can you share your faith with? Even just one person. That could be your next step. And thirdly, ongoing steps. For some, it's just taking that step every day of trusting Jesus, living with integrity, sharing your faith whenever you can, even when it seems tough. A bit like Joseph in prison. You might be like, I don't see any change coming. But just keep, every day, taking a step towards Jesus. And he loves that. It might not be spectacular, but it's amazing. Keep walking with Jesus. God is with you. You don't go along. Go alone. Jesus is with you.